Turn with me to the book of Ruth. And if you can find the book of Ruth in less than 30 seconds, you're going to heaven. It's very difficult to find. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, I think first and second Samuel come after that. But anywhere sandwiched in between, right after Judges, is a beautiful little, bless you, amen. God bless you. That was awesome, that was a great sneeze. So turn to the book of Ruth. I hear everything in here, by the way. You're not getting away with anything in the house. <laughs> not everything. So the book of Ruth is this fascinating little book, four chapters, and so for the next four Sundays, I'm gonna teach you through the book of Ruth, and it's very important that we catch what God was saying to the people of Israel in the book of Ruth. Now think about this just for a moment. If, if you're a student of the Hebrew Testament, there's probably not a more violent and unsettling book in the Hebrew Testament like Judges. If you read the book of Judges, and one of, the, one of the passages in the book of Judges that people quote all the time is like, in the time that there were no kings in the land, people did what was it, whatever they wanted to do, did what was right in their own heart. And so there, it was a lawless, violent, dark, and difficult time in the nation of Israel. That's why the book of Judges was written, to capture that moment. Right after the book of Judges, we find this beautiful book called Ruth. And Ruth is not a book where there's any miracles. There's not any epic battles and fights in this book. It's one of the few Old Testament books where there's not some big battle, some miracle, some enemy that's overcome. None of that happens in the book of Ruth. Another fascinating thing in the book of Ruth is it, it's not a Hallmark you know, Christmas movie, but it does have a lot of dialogue. It's one of the few books in the Hebrew Testament where you hear a lot of the dialogue and the conversation between the main characters in the book of Ruth. And so I want you to catch this because right now we're living in a time in world history where there's a lot of violence, a lot of unsettledness, a lot of darkness that's overshadowing. And I think we're gonna see some things in the book of Ruth in these next four weeks that's going to help you and encourage you and strengthen you. So I wanna to talk today out of Ruth's chapter one about what it means to be a loyal friend. Because this is one of the big themes of the book of Ruth, how two different women from very different backgrounds find one another and make a decision to love one another and to be friends with one another in spite of their massive cultural, spiritual, and financial differences. I wanna tell you something right now before I ever get into this message. I believe in the next several weeks and months, God is about to surprise many of you with new friends. Now, I don't know if that excites you or not, but I'm just telling you, God has put you on the planet for His sake, for His kingdom, and for His glory. Would you agree with that? Almost 12 of you, that's awesome. Let me ask one more time. God has put you on the planet for His kingdom, His sake, His purposes, and for His glory. All right, great. I, I don't, you may not believe that, but I'm just telling you that's true, okay? If that is true, and it is, that means that your life needs to be intertwined and interconnected with other people. That's, that's the kingdom coming, by the way. If you think that following Jesus is just about you getting along with God several hours a day, that's great if that's happening. 
out of your prayer time though, out of your worship time should come this overwhelming need and passion to be around his other creations, his people. Let me just say this, and the nine o'clock service gave me the most dumbfounded look when I said this, all right? So you're better, you're more spiritual, okay? So I'm just give you the benefit of the doubt. You and I need more people in our lives, not less people. Now I know I'm in Colorado where the state motto is, leave me alone. I get that. But your pastor's from the deep south where we actually talk to one another in my neighborhoods growing up and wave at one another. I'm telling you, the Bible is very clear. You cannot and should not live this life on your own. It's not possible for you to grow up into the mature Christ follower that you're designed to be without the help of other people in your life. And we just came out of a time where we were told to get by ourselves, sequester ourselves, isolate ourselves, separate ourselves. And let me just tell you something, not all of that was godly. I believe we should take, be wise about our health for sure. However, it is now time, and I'm speaking this over you, it is now time to start living your life with other people. And that's one of the big themes of the book of Ruth. <clears throat> so let me introduce you to the cast of characters in the book of Ruth, all right? The, the first person we're gonna see is a, a woman named Naomi. Now Naomi married a Jewish man. They were raised in Israel. And as a couple, they moved to Moab because things were better in Moab. Now Moab was a neighboring country. If you know your Jew, uh, Jewish history, Moab was not a friendly nation to Israel. They actually called down curses on Israel at one point in the story. Uh, they, were the, they were the nation that when Israel was needing food and water, they refused to give Israel food and water. And so they were cursed by God in many ways. The Jewish people despised the Moabites. But for some reason, Israel was going through a hard time, a difficult season. Moab, there was food and water there. So Naomi and her husband moved to Moab where things were better. Better economy, better food, better water. When they were there, they had two sons. So Naomi and her husband had two boys. Those boys grew up and they married Moabite women. Well, something awful happened this is why I call her the sad mother-in-law. Naomi lost her husband and her two boys. So Naomi is not only a widow, but she has now lost her two sons who by heritage would have helped their mother when she became a widow. Now she has no one to help her. So I want you to think about Naomi. She is, she is childless, she does not have a husband, and she's living in a foreign land, in fact, Naomi is at the most vulnerable place in her life without a husband, without sons, living in a foreign land. That is the lowest of the low you can get in this culture. That's Naomi, okay? That's the first character I wanna introduce you to. But she has this daughter-in-law named Ruth, which is the book is named after. She's the loyal daughter-in-law. She married one of Naomi's boys. Her husband died. So Think about the first two characters we see in this story are both widows. Naomi's a widow, and now Ruth is a widow. These two widows form a friendship that's going to change the linear history of Israel. Two of the most unlikely people are about to become heroes in the story of Israel. 
Two women that if you would have looked out into a crowd, you would have said, those two women are going, are going to need help. They're vulnerable. They're weak. They're sad. But that's who God chooses to use in the story. And then later on, when we teach you the book of Ruth, we're going to be introduced to a dude, a man, heroic guy, all the single women in the room. These, these men still exist. He's the wealthy and generous bachelor. Come on, all the single ladies, they're out there, okay? They're hard to find, but he's godly. He's prayerful. He loves God. He's rich and he's generous. I mean, just about the perfect guy, all right? That's Boaz. And we're gonna find him later in the story. All right, are you ready? Now, go with me to Ruth chapter one because as we pick up this story, Naomi is about to tell her two daughter-in-laws that she's going back to Israel. And they are, they're complaining about it. They're not happy about it. <clears throat> Verse 13, know my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Stop just for a moment. I wanna, I wanna bring something to the surface this morning. How many of you have ever felt that God was mad at you? Maybe something happened in your life, a calamity, misfortune, something went wrong, and you felt in that moment, it's okay to feel this way, so you're not sinning by confessing this, all right? How many of you have honestly felt that God was punishing you and God was mad at you? This is a big theme of the story, so Naomi felt this way. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. And at this, they wept again. And then Orpah, who would go on later to be a great television interviewer and host. That's, that's a great pastor joke right there. I had to just put that out. That, <laughs> then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Listen to this. But Ruth clung to her. Now, both of these are Moabite women. Ruth is a Moabite. Orpah is a Moabite. Orpah says, I'm staying here with my family. But something happened in Ruth's heart that made the daughter-in-law fall in love with the mother-in-law. If you don't believe in miracles, I just gave you one right there, okay? The daughter-in-law <laughs> falls in love with the mother-in-law, clung to her. And listen to what Ruth says. He says, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. He says, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And this is a salvation moment, okay? If you look for salvation moments in the Bible, where Ruth is turning her heart away from the worthless idols of Moab, something has awakened in her, not just physically, not just emotionally, but something spiritual is now happening in Ruth. Because listen to what she says. She says, your people will be my people and your God, Yahweh, will be my God, Yahweh. This is the moment where Ruth has a salvation experience. She turns away from the worthless idols toward God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die. Now she's making a vow. She's making serious vows here in Jewish and uh, Mediterranean culture to say, I'm gonna die where you die is the ultimate vow. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, 
deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anyone but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. Now, I want you to be aware of something. I believe right now in this room, every person sitting in the room, every person watching online, I have something to say to you. Because one of the big themes of this Bible, well, this story, is the subtle leading of God is a big theme in this book. I believe right now in all of your lives, in my life, your life, our lives, God is at work, whether you know it or not. Sometimes we are aware of God leading us, God prompting us, God moving us, God convicting us or changing us. We're aware of those epic moments, right? You can point back to your history of when God convicted you of something and you stopped, when God changed your course, when God moved on your behalf. But one of the themes of this book is there are times when God's doing that subtly, without you knowing it, in hidden ways, in ways that you can look back and describe, but you can't describe it today. There are times when God's leading us and we're not even aware of his hand on our lives. And one of the ways this happens is when God put together two women from two very different backgrounds. Now I want you to write this down because in the next four chapters, you're gonna hear this over and over again. It's God's plan for each of us to have friends and belong. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that this morning and tonight? <laughs> Do you believe that? All right, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think back to January 1st, 2021. That's what, 10, 11 months ago? I want you to think back in the last 11 months and think about how many new people you have met in the last 11 months. People that have come across your path New friends, new enemies, I don't know what they are, but there have been people introduced to your life in the last 11 months, all of you, right? In fact, if I had asked you on January 1st, 2021, how many of you expect to have this many people cross your paths, you probably would have underestimated how many people God was gonna bring into your life in the next 11 months. Now, let me ask you, is it possible that God is at work and the people that he's bringing into your life and you don't even know it. How many times have people come into your life? Let me just tell you one quick story. I was walking through my neighborhood. I went out for a walk, beautiful day. I had, all I was thinking about was the leaves on the trees and praying and sunshine. And a guy ran up to me who knew me, I didn't know him. And right away, I knew the Lord is bringing this guy into my life. I knew it. As soon as the guy walked up, I could feel the prompting of the Spirit. This man is coming across your path for a reason. That happened just a couple of weeks ago. I can tell you all the time that happens with me because I know that one of the ways God subtly moves in my life is he constantly is bringing people Cross my path. Now, why is he doing that? Because of Psalm 68. And I read this to you two weeks ago. I'm gonna read it to you again. A father to the fatherless, 
a defender of widows. Now, who are the widows in this story? Ruth is a widow, Naomi's a widow, Orpah's a widow. The book of Ruth is full of stories about God taking care of vulnerable widows, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is what God's doing in his holy dwelling. Let me ask you a question. Many people have asked me all the time, what is God doing right now? What is God up to right now? This is what he's up to. He's taking care of the fatherless. He's defending the widows and he's setting the lonely in families. A lot of people say, well, God must be healing the sick. He must be you know, convicting people of sin. He must be out there shaping and forming the universe. Yes, he's doing all that, but he's also doing this. He's setting the lonely into families. And right now we're living on a planet with seven billion fellow humans. That's who we're with. I just saw this, I was watching this documentary on the, on the Roman Empire, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. At the height of the Roman Empire, there were 250 million people on the planet. That's why it was so easy to take over, just not that many people. But now seven billion people live on the planet. But we're loneliest, we're the loneliest we've ever been. It's epic right now. Every counselor that I've talked to, every therapist that I know are telling me the same thing. People are telling them they're lonely, they're lonely, they're lonely, they're separated, they're isolated, their hearts are sick, their minds are, are troubled because they simply don't have the human connections. We've become less human and certainly less social. And I wanna to talk to all of you that are under the age of 30. So what I'm about to talk to you about can change your life if you listen to your pastor today. I'm 54 years old, I'm, 30, I'm 25 years older than you. If you're under the age of 30, please listen to me. A text message is not a relationship. Not. <laughs> I asked my two kids how they connect with their friends. I said, when was the last time you actually talked to your friends on the phone? They said, if my phone rings, it's a butt dial. They know it's a mistake, <laughs> right? It's a mistake. We don't call each other, we text. Listen, that's how you become less social. That's how you can set up your life to be super separated and lonely if you're not careful. So I'm gonna ask you some questions. Now I'm about to get super personal. It's about to get really practical, but this is holy, what you're about to hear, okay? So I'm gonna ask you some questions today and I need you to evaluate yourself. Let me ask you a question, do you have good friends? I'm talking about people you can call and they'll come to your house in, a, in a 30 minutes. I'm talking about people you can call and share what's going on in your lives. I'm talking about good friends. But before you answer that question, let me ask you this question. Are you a good friend? I have found that people who are good friends have a lot of friends. If you're a good friend, chances are you're going to have a lot of friends. So the question that I'm asking, especially the under 30 crowd today is, what keeps us from having friends? Why are we so friendless today? Because the story of Ruth is about friendship, about God leading us into relationships. So are you a good friend? What keeps us from having good friends? Let me just share five things with you real carefully. I'm gonna go very quickly with this, okay? What keeps us from being friends? Number one, we don't want to be hurt again. It's painful to lose a friend. In the last two years, I guarantee you, most of you have lost a friend. Or if you didn't lose a friendship, it got changed, it got altered. It's not as close as it once was. You may not have lost the friendship, 
but it got changed and altered in a way that it'll never be the same. That happened with me. It happened with Pam. It happened with a lot of you. These last two years have been super divisive. And I know the pain of that and what the, the, the human reaction when, you, when you've experienced pain is to not go back to the source of that pain again. Don't put yourself out there. That's why I said a minute ago, we need more people in our lives, not less. It was like cricket noises in this room. Because you're saying, I'm not, I, I actually would prefer fewer people right now. And see, that's a lie of the enemy. I'm, I'm, I'm here to confront a demonic lie to the human race right now. God has designed you to live in an extravagantly large, robust, healthy community of believers that makes room for those who are sick and dying. That's the church. That's what you're designed to live in. So, but the problem with that is you're gonna have to make room in your life again to be hurt again. I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're gonna make new friends. The bad news is some of them will hurt you. And Pam and I have made up our mind, we're in our 50s now, we're going to end our life, the next whatever years are left in our life, we're going to be good friends. And we're going to welcome <clears throat> good friends into our lives. We're not going to become the isolated, hurt cynic where nobody likes and nobody can get along with. We're gonna be super nice. By the way, my junior and senior year, I was voted friendliest. I wanted to be voted most likely to succeed or most handsome, but I, I got like dead last on both of those, but I was voted friendliest. So I don't know if that's any good or not. All right, number two, <laughs> we're too busy. You're just too busy. Listen, it takes an investment of time and emotions to be a good friend. You're gonna have to make time. That's why men's night out, listen, I'm not, we're not trying to create another church service for you to attend on Wednesday night. I promise you that's not, that's the last thing we need. What Wednesday night's about is making space and room for the new friendship that I want men to have in our, our church. You gotta make time for it. Don't sit home and watch Netflix or Fox News or whatever you're watching tonight. Block that stuff out. Make these kinds of times a priority and see the Lord bless you with good friends. Here's the third thing. We have substituted social media likes for physical presence. Liking something on Facebook is different than showing up at their front door and celebrating them. It's different than a phone call. And now we say, well, we like their Facebook posts. They must know that I'm their friend. Listen, we substituted cheap and easy for something that is costly. And here's the fourth thing, we just don't know how. The under 30 crowd, and listen, I have two of them in my house, right? I'm watching the culture shape and shift their thinking about relationships. Uh, I've talked to them about introducing themselves, talking about themselves in an appropriate way, asking questions that show interest in another human being, have the art of a conversation. This is, I know this is gonna sound like an old man talking, the art of a handwritten note. I, this week I realized that I'm getting sloppy. I'm not writing as many handwritten notes. So this week I sat down and I wrote out a bunch of handwritten notes to some friends that I wanted to say thank you to. And I sent them out, I wrote it. And I just realized my handwriting has gotten worse and worse and worse because of less and less practice. You were taught cursive for a reason, by the way. <laughs> to write it out. Don't just leave something on their page write something, show them interest. We just don't know how. And here's the fifth one, it's a lie of the enemy. But the fifth reason we don't have friends is we don't think we need them. We just think we can do this on our own. 
We think we're capable of doing things in isolation that God designed you to do in community. You can't do the things of God in isolation that God created you to do in community. It takes a community for a reason. God knew what he was doing when he set this whole thing up. We need the strength of other people. A strand of three cords is not easily broken. Your life has to be intertwined, interwoven, interconnected with other human beings in order for you to feel the full strength of God in your life. You need more people, not fewer people. Amen. All right, so I'm gonna give you, whether you agree with it or not, I need to hear this, all right? So how do we become good friends? I'm gonna give you some five practical things if you wanna be a better friend. And this whole story of Ruth is gonna show us this, okay? I'm setting up the book by showing you these things. Number one, you love them for who they are and not what they can do for you. One of the great travesties of the American culture is that we use people for our benefit and when they no longer benefit us, they no longer are useful to us. We cast off people like clothes, like used clothes sometimes. We don't see the fullness of their, their humanity and the God's design in their life. And one of the powerful parts of this story is, is how Ruth chose Naomi. Not all relationships are transactional. Naomi had no money, no power, nothing to offer Ruth, and yet Ruth still chose to follow her and be her friend. In other words, Naomi had, she was emptied. I have nothing to offer you but myself. And that was enough for Ruth. That's one of the beautiful parts of the story. So love them for what, who they are and not what they can do. Number two, love them enough to tell them the truth. I, I, I suspect that you are like me. There are very few people that can look you in the eye and tell you that you're messing up and they love you enough to tell you. And as you get older, that circle gets smaller, not bigger. Who do you have in your life? Men and women, listen to me. How many, if you are headed for a train wreck, if your life is headed to a place of disaster, who loves you enough to stand between you and the abyss and say, stop, stop, don't do that. You're messing up. Don't please, I'm telling you, I love you. Don't do that. If you have someone like that in your life, you are blessed beyond measure. You need human beings in your life that love you. Pam is sitting on the front row. She is, she's listened to every sermon. She, every sermon I've ever preached at New Life Church. Over 400 messages I've shared out of this pulpit. She hears everyone and she takes better notes than any of you. And she holds me accountable for what I say. And she looks me in the eye and tells me when I am preaching something that I'm not living. Listen, you need a human being in your life like that who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Here's the third one, is you forgive quickly and you believe the best about them. Let me tell you the process of becoming really close friends. God brings someone into your life and you see the best of them and you see the worst part of them over a course of time. And when you see the best of them, it's easy to be their friend. The test of being a close friend 
is when you see the worst of them. Every close friend that I have in my life, I have seen them at their worst. And I had to make a decision at that point. Will I love them and forgive them or will I judge them and push them away? When you, first of all, I've already told them the truth, so I'm not, I'm not enabling them. I'm not sweeping it under the rug. I'm not, I'm not ignoring it. But once I've told them the truth and they've repented of it, I forgive them. And then your friendship grows. Your friendship strengthens. And you're going to see this with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. They mess up in front of one another. And God uses the forgiveness of their relationship to build something powerful and strong. So here's the, here's the last thing. The fourth thing is you celebrate them. When was the last time you saw your friend being wildly successful and it brought you great joy? When was the last time you were scrolling through social media and they were on a better vacation than you, living in a better house than you? Their kids were prettier than yours. <laughs> Their birthday parties were better than the birthday party you threw for your kid. And you were okay with it. And you called them and said, I see the blessing of the Lord on your life and it gives me great joy to see God blessing you and strengthening you and pouring his goodness out upon you. And you meant every word that came out of your heart. This week, and I knew I was preaching this message, I have a friend that's doing good right now. And I called them and I said, God's blessing you. And it gives me great joy to see it. I love that God's favor is upon your life. Listen, you have to have people that you can celebrate. You cannot be a good friend if you're competing with them. You, you're a good friend when you celebrate them. God's called you to celebrate people, not to compete with them. Honor them, push them on. And here's what the Bible says. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In other words, what you give is gonna come back to you. Test me on this, okay? You may have to do it 10 times. You may have to take the first step. Well, Pastor Brady, I've celebrated them. They never celebrated me. Okay, do it 10 times before you complain. I promise you, you celebrate somebody 10 times, you're gonna get it back. It will come back to you. They will celebrate you. Here's another way of saying that. Those who celebrate others well will themselves be celebrated well. When I celebrate other people, it comes back to me. I need to be refreshed, but before I get refreshed, I need to send out celebration. Find somebody this week, somebody that's loved you, somebody that has stood with you, someone that has been your friend through thick and thin, and call them this week and celebrate God's blessing in their life. Just tell them something that's worth celebrating. And here's the fifth thing, invite them into your life. Here's the number one reason that people don't have friends. You don't invite them to come along with you. Hey, come over. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to do something this week. Invite someone over to your house for a meal this week. Invite someone to go to a movie with you this week. Invite someone to meet you at a coffee shop this week. Invite someone to go to a restaurant with you this week. Invite someone to come to church with you next Sunday. Invite them into your life. Welcome them into your space. This is how you become good friends. Whenever you're doing something, the first question you should ask is, who can I include in this? Who can I bring alongside me? See, this is what's happening. 
Naomi's headed back to her homeland and she allowed Ruth, come with me. I see you want to be with me, come alongside me. I wanna remind you in John chapter 15, this is one of my favorite stories. Jesus is headed to the cross and he only has just a sacred few hours and days left with the 12 men that he spent most of his life with, the three years of his ministry with. And in John chapter 15, he looks at his disciples and he says, fellows, friends, he said, I don't call you servants anymore. Today, I call you my friend. I call you friend. Now, let me tell you about the importance of that. Every time we take the table of the Lord, every time we come, we quote a scripture that I don't think you're thinking about it the way you should think about it. You hear me and Pastor Tim and Pastor Daniel, Pastor Glenn get up and we say, here's how we say it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread. Who, was, who betrayed him? The men that he called friends. So the next time you're hurt, you say, oh God, I've tried to love people and they keep hurting me. Okay, this is why every Sunday we take the bread and the cup and we say, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was hurt by people, he didn't rebuke them and send them away. He actually broke bread and invited them back into his life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and he drank a cup with them, knowing that they were all about to flee and they were all about to abandon him. Instead, he chose the difficult path of redemption. And aren't we glad today that Jesus found us on our worst day and still chose to forgive us? Amen? Stand up with me this morning. Let's stand and pray together. In just a moment, we're gonna hear that passage again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he blessed them. So I want you to think about something this morning. It might be a bit painful, but I think it's helpful. Who has betrayed you? And have you forgiven them? Have you blessed them, forgiven them? You don't have to trust them again. You may never be friends with them again. You may never be close to them again. That's not required. The Bible does not require us to trust them, to be friends with them, or to let them be close to us again. But the Bible does require us to forgive them and bless them. Because what we want back, when we fail God, we want forgiveness and we want blessing. And oftentimes the Lord says, you want something from me that you're not willing to give other people. And then he reminds me of this passage of scripture. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, every Sunday I stand here and quote that scripture to you. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he blessed. So let's just do that today. Can you just bless? Can we just thank the Lord, first of all, for good friends? Can you just turn your hands like this as a sign of saying thank you for a faithful God, a Jesus who forgave us, a Jesus who blessed us, a Jesus who found us at our most broken place and still chose to walk with us. So Father, we thank you for that. We give our lives to you for that. And Father, we thank you today for good friends. And now instead of thinking of those who have betrayed you, can you just think of those who have been loyal to you? 
So we just thank the Lord for good friends today. You may have one or two, you may have 10 or 20. Can we just thank the Lord for good friends? People that have stood with you during your darkest season, people who will call you and celebrate you, people who love you. Father, we thank you for that gift of friendship, the gift of good people that you've brought into our lives. We're so thankful. And Lord, we thank you today that you, you showed us how to walk through this life with people. You showed us how. Lord, give us grace today. Lord, we need more people, not less people. So give us grace for what's coming. In Jesus' name, we pray. We're gonna sing this song and in just a moment, Pastor Tim's gonna come to the table of the Lord. Let's just sing this as a prayer to the Lord, confess our hearts to the Lord, and then we're gonna come to the table of the Lord in just a moment. And this is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. With
have your communion elements, you can go ahead and open them up. You know, one of the most beautiful aspects about the gospel is not just that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Lamb that was slain came to save us, but that He came to befriend us. And we hear Jesus give these words, as Pastor Brady just said in, in John 15. He looks at His followers and He said, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And you think about the five different things Pastor Brady just gave us about what does it mean to be a good friend and reality Jesus is the epitome of all of those that Jesus is a friend who comes to us and he expects nothing from us in fact the essence of the gospel is that he takes our sin and brokenness and he gives us his righteousness that Jesus is a friend who comes and he loves us enough to tell us the truth, to lead us into truth. That before the foundation of the world, he made a decision to forgive us. That at the end of all things in Revelation, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, he will celebrate with us. And that he even here and now invites us to do life with him. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And that's what we can remember as we come to the table of the Lord, that on the night our beloved Savior was betrayed, he chose to be a friend. And so he took the bread and he broke it. If you want to, you can break that little wafer. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. So that any time you might feel alone, separated from the rest of the world, or any time you might find yourself in your own brokenness, resisting wanting to be part of the world, he said, I am your friend who has come to give my life for you. Brothers and sisters, let us take the bread together. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. All that was broken in you, all that was stiffing, st stiff arming the rest of the world and, and wanting to isolate yourself. I have come to wash you, make you clean and make you new. This is poured out on your behalf, brothers and sisters. Let us take the cup together. And if you can, just sing these words one more time.
And Jesus, that is our prayer this morning, that you, our friend, would have your way in us. We give you our hearts. We give you our souls. Oh, would you come? Father, I pray that that the word Pastor Brady gave to us this morning would ring true for so many here in person and online, that you would take the lonely and you would set them into families, that you would show to us we need more people, not less people, and you would reveal to us that we need friends and that we need to be good friends. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you do that miracle in our lives? And if you can agree with that this morning, church, can you say amen, amen? Can you open your hands with me today? As you go from this place or as you go watching online, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, that he would lift his bright smiling countenance towards you and he would grant you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Hey, just a couple things before you leave this morning. If you would like prayer today, I want to go ahead and invite our prayer team to come down front. We would love to pray with you. And um, we have section parties today for section communities for section one and two. Men, do not forget this Wednesday, six o'clock, Chick-fil-A. It's going to be an incredible time together. We want to see you right here in the living room. Lastly, we have a booth set up out there for Adopt a Family. If you and your family want to take on serving another family in our community for the holidays, we, want to, we would love to invite you into that, okay? Please go. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you.